what's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. The Biden administration says it's ready to wipe away $39 billion in student debt. It would affect over 800,000 borrowers. Lawmakers today advocating an expansion of the child tax credit. We bring you the highlights from the Senate hearing and how it could affect your wallet. Illinois has a new housing law, and if landlords are not careful, they may face civil rights lawsuits. We have the details. The House of Representatives' defense budget proposal would end transgender medical procedures in the military. It would also end the military's abortion travel policy. GOP presidential hopefuls need an early win in Iowa, and Ron DeSantis is no exception. That's according to Trump's former senior advisor and counsel. We speak with her. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, $39 billion in student debt is set to be canceled. The Biden administration says over 800,000 borrowers will have their student debt wiped away in the coming weeks. It says this is due to administrative fixes that more accurately count qualified monthly payments. There are currently several different kinds of repayment plans for borrowers with federal student loans. Plans base payments on a borrower's income and family size, regardless of their total outstanding debt. After reaching a set forgiveness threshold of 20 or 25 years, a borrower's remaining balance is then wiped away. The new administrative fixes presumably result in more borrowers past this threshold. Student loan repayments resume in October after a years-long pause during the pandemic. The Supreme Court last month struck down Biden's loan forgiveness program that would have canceled ten dollars to $20,000 of debt for millions of borrowers. Some lawmakers are advocating to bring back the American Rescue Plan. They aim to restore the COVID-19-era monthly payments for young children. Here are the details. Some Democratic senators want to bring back the 2021 American Rescue Plan Child Tax Credit, or CTC. They're advocating for monthly payments and for them to be permanent. During the CCP virus pandemic, under the American Rescue Plan, monthly payments of over $250 per child were given out. Last month, some Democratic representatives introduced an expanded version of the American Family Act. One of the sponsors said, when we expanded and improved the child tax credit in 2021 under the American Rescue Plan, it provided unprecedented economic security for American families. The maximum tax credit per qualifying child in 2023 is $2,000 for children 5 and younger, or $3,000 for children 6 through 17. The CTC was created as part of the 1997 Taxpayer Relief Act. It has been expanded several times with bipartisan support. The Democratic chair of the subcommittee praised the history of bipartisan cooperation during the Thursday hearing. Although there have been occasional differences in approach between the two parties, I think it's important to recognize that the child tax credit has been expanded both in size and, and to whom it's been made available as a result of bipartisan consensus and agreement. Republican Senator John Thune said he believes the current CTC should not be allowed to expire in 2026, but he expressed concern about bringing back the American Rescue Plan measure and making it permanent. The American Rescue Plan went beyond simply increasing the per-child tax credit amount. It extended the credit to children who are almost adults. It adopted a completely new approach by mandating taxpayers who did not opt out 
to receive half their credit in advance, significantly straining the IRS's resources. He added that this removes the incentive for certain parents to enter and remain in the workforce, he noted. Two law enforcement sources say a suspect is in custody in the unsolved Gilgo Beach murders case. This is the first arrest in the case in which at least 10 sets of human remains have been found in Long Island, New York since 2010. Suffolk County, New York officials and the FBI are set to announce a significant development in the investigation today. The case has baffled authorities since the discovery of the first set of a woman's remains along an isolated strip of waterfront property on Gilgo Beach. The string of killings sparked conflicting theories about whether a serial, a serial killer was responsible. In 2010, authorities found a belt with initials that may have been handled by the suspect and launched a website to collect new tips in the investigation. Police said some of the victims identified had advertised prostitution service on websites such as Craigslist. The House of Representatives budget proposal would repeal the Defense Department's abortion travel policy and prohibit Defense Department programs from providing gender transition procedures. Democrats resisted fiercely. Republican Congressman J Ronnie Jackson sought to repeal a Defense Department policy. It reimburses expenses for service members who travel to obtain an abortion. Jackson maintained the policy was installed by the Biden administration in October 2022 to sidestep the Roe v. Wade appeal. Democratic Congresswoman Mickey Sherrill called the amendment a dangerous health care travel ban for women in the military. She noted that 46% are now based in states where abortion is restricted or banned. Another amendment would prohibit the Defense Department's health care program from furnishing sex reassignment procedures and hormone treatments for transgender individuals. The Family Leadership Summit is underway in Des Moines, Iowa, where many GOP candidates are competing for an early win in the presidential primaries. Ron DeSantis is in second place, and it seems like his campaign views Iowa as key to his nomination. To dig deeper, I spoke with Jenna Ellis, constitutional attorney and former senior advisor to, and counsel to President Donald Trump. Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for joining us. Great to see you, Chris. Thanks. Jenna, numerous GOP candidates are at the Family Leadership Summit today. What's the significance of this summit in Iowa? Well, this is the first presidential forum, and so it provides a significant opportunity for these uh, presidential GOP candidates to extend uh, their view of the presidency and the race towards specifically evangelical Christians and the Iowa grassroots base. Uh, viewers will remember in 2015 that then-candidate Donald Trump really made headway and then ultimately uh, placed second in Iowa because of his appearance largely, I think, attributed to the Family Leadership Summit. So this is a very important event. And what's the significance of Iowa, the Iowa caucus in general, in the presidential primary for the GOP? Well, of course, this is one of the first uh, states that uh, ultimately will caucus and uh, will uh, vote for the the presidential nominee for the GOP. So it's really uh, one of the bellwether states. And so that's why a lot of candidates, including President Trump, who won't appear at the summit today, which I think is very fascinating, uh, have been spending a lot of time otherwise in Iowa. Tell me about that. Why do you think that's fascinating? 
Well, uh, President Trump has said that he's not going to do multi-candidate uh, events, and that included going out to uh, Iowa with uh, Joni Erst as well in another uh, kind of candidate forum, uh, in a sense, that was a couple of months ago. And so he's positioning himself to look like the incumbent and say that he doesn't need to necessarily attend these types of forums or the debates, like the upcoming one in August uh, with the RNC. And so I think that it's actually a missed opportunity for him uh, to get in front of Christians and evangelicals and um, explain his stance now on issues like pro-life and religious liberty and some other things that some evangelicals are concerned with. Now, coming back to DeSantis, he's in second place trailing Trump by almost 30 points. Uh, what does the vote of the Iowa caucus mean to his campaign? Well, I think that it's going to be very uh, significant for DeSantis to, to close that gap. And I think he has a great opportunity at this uh, family leadership summit to do just that, because uh, the evangelical vote is very significant among uh, the GOP primary. Uh, it's one that anyone who wants to win Iowa or the overall nomination can't simply ignore. He's going to have to position himself by showing people not just what he did in Florida, but what he wants to do nationally. And Jenna, what does the vote of suburban women mean to the DeSantis campaign? Well, I think that that's also a significant demographic that uh, President Trump underperformed with in 2020. So there's a huge opportunity for DeSantis to also close the gap with suburban women. And that demographic, as well as evangelicals, may be a way for DeSantis to peel off some of those uh, voters that even right now, if they're saying in the polls that they are supporting President Trump, what the polls don't show is intensity and the opportunity for DeSantis to convert their votes uh, to him in Iowa and then uh, throughout the GOP nomination process. And just in summary here, what do you think is DeSantis's most likely path to the Republican nomination? Well, I think uh, he's going to have to continue to place very strongly, uh, not only in Iowa, that where uh, then-candidate President Trump placed second, so he didn't actually win Iowa in uh, the 2016 race, but that continued to build momentum, and then he just continued to overtake uh, the then-Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and uh, Marco Rubio and just continued to peel away uh, those votes and close that gap. So I think that, the De that DeSantis has to do basically the same thing. And then looking at South Carolina, where uh, Senator Tim Scott is really rising and as a favorite among evangelicals, that's going to be a very interesting state to watch with DeSantis as well. Jenna Ellis, thank you. Good to see you again. Thanks so much. 50 Democrats in Congress are calling on the Federal Election Commission to crack down on artificial intelligence in political ads. This just in, we can now call the 2024 presidential race for Joe Biden. The Democrats say the deceptive ads could harm the integrity of next year's elections. They want the agency's existing law against fraudulent misrepresentation to also include so-called deep fakes. Those are videos and images created by artificial intelligence appearing to show real people. Just last month, a political ad put out by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign included a deep fake. The image was of former President Donald Trump hugging Dr. Anthony Fauci. The false image was created by artificial intelligence. The nonprofit group Public Citizen also has petitioned the FEC to take action. After the break, California considers taking wastewater and making it drinkable. Not everyone agrees that the procedure is effective or safe. And the Biden administration tightens regulations for chemicals commonly used in air conditioners. It can make cooling more expensive. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today.
Welcome back. Big U.S. banks reported their earnings today. Joining us now is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, what are we seeing from the reports? Well, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Citigroup reported their quarterly results this morning. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo both profited. Uh, their profits surged, climbed 67 and 57 percent respectively. What about Citigroup? Citigroup's profit actually tumbled a little bit, 36 um, percent. And what contributed to J.P. Morgan's profit boost, Don? Well, it earned more from borrowers' interest payments. And if you remember, it acquired First Republic, and that as well benefited the bank. And tell us about Wells Fargo. Higher interest rates uh, is benefiting the bank. Its net interest rate income went up almost 30%. Now, for a deeper analysis earlier, I talked to Sam Burns, chief strategist at investment advisory firm Mill Street Research. So, Sam, how would you rate the financial performance of the banks uh, that we got earnings reports from today? I think overall, the reports have been better than expected. Um, all three of the big banks that reported uh, beat consensus analyst expectations uh, for earnings this quarter. So I think overall, it's, it's certainly uh, a decent report. Uh, there's been some areas of strength and some areas of weakness uh, within a lot of the banks, and some of them were stronger than others. Uh, but I think overall there were no uh, major surprises and uh, and nothing that would uh, you know you know cause problems for the broader equity market. Uh, overall, uh, lending profitability is pretty strong. It's it's a question of the amount of loans being made and then the uh, loan losses on some of them uh, that have crept up in, in some of the consumer areas. What about the exposure to commercial real estate? Any worries there? Uh, there have been some worries there, and I think particularly Wells Fargo uh, being exposed to some of the West Coast uh, office. Uh, market there uh, has had some issues there. Um, again, nothing that was not somewhat anticipated. Um, most people know that the uh, commercial real estate market has been weak for a while and still is. Um, so then it's just a question of exactly you know where the the losses are and, and how they'll be they'll be dealt with. Uh, but I think in general uh, they have the balance sheets to handle it. It's not going to be a uh, a major issue for these banks, but it's just a question of how much pressure it puts on earnings over the next few quarters. What about liquidity position? Are, are they well capitalized? Uh, generally speaking, yes. Uh, I think most of the banks have sufficient capital. Uh, I think some of them went through a stress test by the Fed recently uh, and passed. Um, so I think it's. Uh, I think generally speaking, their their balance sheets are in good shape, particularly for the big banks. Some of the regional banks, which we'll hear from a little later on uh, next week, uh, some of them may still have balance sheet issues, um, kind of along the lines of what we saw, uh, you know, back in March and April uh, from Silicon Valley Bank and some of the other ones where uh, the losses on their bond holdings caused them problems. Uh, but the big banks like J.P. Morgan and Citibank uh, and Wells Fargo, uh, they're much more diversified and they don't have those kind of problems to the same extent. Yeah, and it does give us a glimpse into how the economy is doing. I want to ask you, how does the consumer look right now? The consumer tends to be holding up pretty well. I know J.P. Morgan has made some comments that they thought uh, consumer uh, was, was doing well. The labor market and, and uh, wages have been pretty strong still, so it gives people income to spend. Um, you know, credit card usage has risen, uh, but I think the overall aggregate credit card debt has been slowing a little bit lately, uh, and banks have been a little more conservative with their loans. So I think the uh, overall you know pattern for the economy in terms of uh, consumer spending has been you know positive, but not extreme. Uh, so I think it's it's more a matter of consumer spending in line with their income growth rather than taking on dramatic uh, levels of new debt. So the earnings reports come off uh, the banking troubles we had a couple months ago. Is that behind us now? 
I think the worst of it is, I think some of those regional banks, the smaller banks, are still struggling. Uh, when I look at the earnings estimate uh, data that I track, um, a lot of these smaller banks are still seeing their estimates being cut, um, even even now, going after, you know, two or three months later. So I think there's a lot of those uh, smaller banks where uh, there's uncertainty about what their balance sheets are going to show in terms of losses from bond holdings. But I think uh, a lot of that has now been priced in. The, the, the stocks have been knocked down pretty good, and a lot of analysts have kind of factored that in to some degree. So I think um, there may not be as many big surprises now, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean the news will be a lot better. It'll just be having, having been priced in now. Thank you so much today, Sam. It's a pleasure speaking to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You may still be eligible for a tax refund from 2019, but you only have until Monday to file. The Internal Revenue Service says nearly 1.5 million people could be eligible for almost $1.5 billion in unclaimed refunds. By law, taxpayers have three years to file and claim their tax refunds. Because of the pandemic year, the three-year window was pushed back to July 17th. The agency says there is no penalty for filing late if you are owed a refund, but if you don't file in time, the government keeps the money. Tax year 2019 forms can be found at the IRS website and they must be completed on paper rather than electronically. State attorneys general put a hundred of America's largest corporations on notice that after the Supreme Court's decision, affirmative action has ended for them too. In a July 13th letter, the AGs wrote, quote, if your company previously resorted to racial preferences or naked quotas to offset its bigotry, that discriminatory path is now definitively closed. The letter also says a company must overcome its underlying biases and treat all employees, applicants, and contractors equally without regard for race. The letter was signed by 13 state attorneys general. They said 27 banks, tech companies, and consulting firms set explicit and illegal racial hiring quotas. On June 29th, the Supreme Court ended race-based admissions policies and racial hiring quotas. The AG's letter also says, quote, Responsible corporations interested in supporting underprivileged individuals and communities can find many lawful outlets to do so. It then reads, but drawing crude lines based on skin color is not a lawful outlet. California has put forward a proposal to convert domestic and industrial wastewater into a drinking water source, even as safety concerns remain regarding its consumption. California's water regulator announced proposals to allow municipal wastewater to be mixed in with water systems. It's part of Governor Gavin Newsom's water recycling strategy. The wastewater includes mostly domestic waste and many, may include commercial and industrial waste. The regulators say it will be treated to levels that meet or exceed drinking water standards. A blog post from the University of Florida says even if reclaimed water from wastewater is highly disinfected and treated, it may contain substances at levels that disqualify drinkability. In Florida, reclaimed water has been used for more than four decades for non-drinking purposes. But the blog post says such water cannot be used for drinking or sanitary purposes. The Biden administration has announced stringent new rules to reduce the use of coolants used in most air conditioning units and other appliances, but experts warn it could hurt Americans' pockets. The administration implemented the rules in the name of fighting climate change. It includes reducing the use of hydrofluorocarbons by 40% by 2028. The rule dovetails with earlier efforts to reduce the production and consumption of these chemicals. They are known as HFCs and are a type of synthetic refrigerant. HFCs replaced other chemicals that were said to deplete the ozone layer. 
EPA says they are also dangerous since they are potent greenhouse gases that contribute to climate change. HFCs are used as refrigerants in most cooling systems, including refrigerators, heat pumps, and air conditioners, but critics say increased HFC regulation has already impacted prices, and the phase-out won't do much for climate change. There's a new chapter in the ongoing Bud Light saga. Costco may have decided to stop selling the beer at its stores. The company has given Bud Light the so-called Star of Death. Images shared online show Costco announcing the sale of Bud Light along with an asterisk sign. The marking reportedly indicates the store won't restock the product. It's unclear whether this applies to all Bud Light products or to all Costco stores. The retail chain has not yet responded to a request for comment. Bud Light became a target for boycotting after partnering with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. That was in a promotional campaign in April, and it irked many Americans who felt the company was pushing a trans agenda. Sales of the beer have continued to take a major hit ever since, dropping by almost 30% at times when compared to last year. Over the past few years, more young people have ended up in the hospital due to marijuana use. That's the finding of a new study by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The study analyzed nearly 540,000 cases nationwide where people under 25 years old wound up in a hospital due to complica complications of cannabis use. Researchers found that from 2019 to 2022, cannabis-related emergency department visits increased overall among kids, teens, and young adults. Researchers also noted large increases in cannabis-related emergency department visits among kids less than 10 years old. When we return, Twitter wants out of an agreement with the FTC. It's saying an investigation into the company and Elon Musk is biased. And Georgia police officer faces a moral dilemma when he pulls over a deputy for speeding. Find out what happened here on NTD News. Welcome back, everyone. Illinois landlords will soon be required to rent their property to illegal immigrants. That's the end result of a bill recently signed by Governor J.B. Pritzker. The new law has sparked different points of view. Entity's Angela Moy has the story. The law taking effect on January 1, 2024, amended the Illinois Human Rights Act to include immigration status as a protected class for selling and renting properties. Illinois State Senator Ann Gillespie, a sponsor of the bill, stated, This law sets clear boundaries protecting the rights of immigrants and ensuring that financial institutions and service providers cannot engage in discriminatory practices. Emerit Del Real is the marketing chair of the Latino Real Estate Investors Council and a multifamily property owner in the Chicago area. She says she welcomes the new law. Looking at this from the lens of being a business and you know having a product which is you know a, a unit and, and and needing the demand needing the tenants it has been you know considered more of an opportunity than than a risk the optimism stems from the housing assistance programs offered by multiple organizations for illegal immigrants for example there's a there's a six-month 
rental assistance program that you know is very very attractive as a housing provider. Lawyer and president of the Liberty Justice Center, Jacob Hubert, has a different view. He says landlords take on greater risk for renting to people without legal status who could leave any time. And if the landlord loses that tenant, uh, the landlord had, of course, has to replace that person. And but not only that, uh, the landlord has no way to collect unpaid rent, past rent, uh, unpaid future rent. Hubert says the law could increase demand for affordable housing that may encourage property owners who want to avoid the risk to leave the market. And as a result of that, there's likely to be less affordable housing on the market than there otherwise would be. And at the same time, more people competing for that, which is going to drive up rents even more. Additionally, Hubert says the law infringes on owners' property rights. This deprives the property owners of their choice as to who to rent to and makes it harder for them to avoid the risk of having tenants who they can't recover from, who could disappear at any time. Hubert says the law could also create more lawsuits against landlords who have legitimate reasons for turning down illegal immigrants. Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Twitter wants a federal court to end the company's consent agreement with the Federal Trade Commission. In 2022, Twitter and the FTC settled a privacy dispute after regulators accused Twitter of misusing account security information. Then last summer, the FTC opened an investigation into Twitter over allegations it violated the terms of that agreement. Twitter says the commission only ramped up the investigation after Elon Musk acquired the platform. The company accuses the FTC of prejudging the outcome as investigators look to depose Musk himself. Twitter is asking the court to stop the investigation and terminate the agreement. The FTC has declined to comment. How many times have you been in a meeting and thought that it could have been an email? One Canadian company understands that sentiment and is trying to show that time is money and the company is wasting it on unnecessary meetings. Shopify internally rolled out a tool called Meeting Cost Calculator on Wednesday. It's integrated into the employees' Google calendars and it shows the estimated cost of their meetings. It calculates the cost by using average pay data, number of attendees, and the length of the meeting. For example, a half-hour meeting with three employees can cost the e-company anywhere from $700 to $1,600. The calculator predicts Shopify will see a 15% reduction in overall costs if they simply get rid of just three meetings per person in a single week. Earlier this year, Shopify canceled all employee meetings with three or more people and all meetings scheduled on Wednesdays. It's unclear the effects on work environment, cooperation, and productivity. A congressman questions the focus of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He says their participation in the illegal immigration crisis is not the agency's purpose. In a subcommittee hearing, Congressman Anthony Desposito questioned why FEMA was allocating funds for migration surges at the border, specifically when the Homeland Security Secretary has denied the existence of a crisis. He said FEMA is being used to help house and care for illegal immigrants in a crisis that is not likely to end anytime soon. He said it strays from the agency's primary role in disaster response and recovery. He called for a focus on building community resilience and improving recovery programs and suggested the border crisis is distracting FEMA from its primary role. FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell 
assured lawmakers that FEMA is not an immigration body, but follows congressional direction in supporting humanitarian efforts. She says the reason the agency is helping at the border is because it was allocated money to do so in the president's budget. An officer on patrol in Georgia got a big surprise when he pulled over a Dodge Charger going 96 mile per hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. The Henry County officer walked up to the car and immediately recognized the sheriff chief deputy Michael Yarbrough. He took a moment to call another person for guidance. Yeah, the chief deputy driving a Dodge Charger, a souped up Dodge Charger belongs to the sheriff's office. Really? Sir, here's your ID back. This is your copy of the citation. If you would sign right here, it's got a court date, time it's a must appear. Please slow down and have a safe day. The sheriff suspended the chief deputy for 40 hours and docked his pay because of the severity of the citation. A spokesperson said Yarbrough was on duty at the time, but did not turn on his lights or sirens. A little further south in Florida, geotechnical experts are assessing a sinkhole. It's now reopened for a third time. Hillsborough County officials say the hole first formed in 2013 right under Jeff Bush's bedroom in the town of Seffner. He was going to bed for the night when his furnishings vanished into the earth. The sinkhole was filled but later reopened in 2015 and then on Monday, the county received a call that the hole reopened again. Officials say the neighboring properties are safe. It will now be filled with a water-gravel mixture like it was when it reopened in 2015. Chipotle is testing a robot to help make guacamole. It's called the Autocado. Here's how it works. You load up to 25 pounds of avocados in the machine. One by one, it slices the fruit open, takes off the skin, removes the core, and places the flesh in a bowl. That's when an actual person takes over adding the other ingredients and hand mashing it to make guacamole. The autocado could cut guac prep time in half. That's a big deal when you consider Chipotle uses 100 million pounds of avocados each year. Chipotle is also testing Chippy, a robot that helps make tortilla chips. Krispy Kreme is celebrating its 86th birthday Friday with a super cheap donut deal. They're offering 86 cent original glazed donuts with the purchase of any dozen at a regular price. The hot, sweet glazed treat has become a dessert icon over the years. Krispy Kreme was founded in 1937. Vernon Rudolph started out selling donuts to grocery stores. Pretty soon, the irresistible donut scent wafting into the streets had passers-by asking if they could buy the pastry themselves. So Rudolph launched an operation selling directly to the public. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. When we come back, we'll hear the story of a crime fighter from Australia. She doesn't patrol the streets, but she has rescued children from slavery. Find out how after the break. Thanks for staying with us, anyone, everyone. Next, a 69-year-old lady from Australia helps fight crime in the Philippines by rescuing children and helping to build self-reliance and resilience within poor communities there. 
Let's jump in on a recent conversation she had with NTD's Stephanie Cox about how she got started with her charity, Hearts and Hands. I then came in contact quite accidentally with the lady who said, well, look, I'm planning a trip to the Philippines. My sister-in-law runs an orphanage. And I looked at her and said, well, can I come too? And it started from there. Yeah, so it's just a passion that's continued. And I understand that the Philippines is perhaps particularly burdened with these issues around human trafficking and child trafficking. What can you tell me about that? Um, they're close to being number one country in the world at the moment for um, cyber sex trafficking of children in particular, um, but also just the general trafficking of children for either sexual exploitation or um, money laundering, um, collecting money, begging in the streets, um, traffickers, syndicates um, steal children from really poor communities who then don't have the access or the, the finances to, to go and search for their children um, and they take them to the streets and, and make them beg so that they can be fed um, or they'll put them to use in sexual exploitation. Um, sometimes they convince poor communities of poor families uh, that don't have the means themselves that um, if they pay them for the children so it seems like the families are selling their children, but they're promising them they will get them a good family, they will have them adopted overseas. So the families have promised all these wonderful things and think they're doing the best for the children they love. If they don't get rescued, what happens to them? Where do they go? Is they go overseas or they stay within the Philippines? They, they will continually be trafficked, usually within the Philippines. Really? Just within the Philippines? They'll be, sometimes they move from one city to another. Um, so they get hidden amongst the population. And it's just like uh, kind of like slavery, like they get used as maids or like yes. sex yes. or something? Oh. Yeah, definitely. And if, if they're put to begging in the streets, such as they, they, might, um, they might have a disabled child um, who evokes more emotion or they might have a baby, sometimes a baby will be strapped to an older child to beg in the streets because they'll evoke emotion. Um, people will give money to to help them. That money then goes to the traffickers and they have to, the children have to come back with a certain amount of money um, so that they can be fed. Oh gee, that's so cool. And then when they get well known, um, if they're too well known in an area, sometimes we can't help them either because that's when they'll they just disappear. They'll be moved to another location, to another city. That must be heartbreaking to see that. It is very heartbreaking, but very rewarding when we can actually be involved in, in rescuing some of these children. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been involved in some of that too, and it's it's quite rewarding when we get the children. It's also sad and a lot of tears flowing. I bet. What uh, Do you have an example of a story, somebody in particular that comes to mind? Yes. Um, about five years ago, we, we discovered there was one lady um, in a local park in the Philippines was trying to sell three of her children. She had six children, and she was trying to sell the three youngest because she felt that that would give them an opportunity, that they would have the best chance of being adopted overseas. And she was being promised that's what would happen. She was actually being offered the equivalent of $20 Australian per child. And she was in the process of selling three of the children so that she could then feed the other three. Um, and that was intercepted and those three children came into our orphanage and then they were able to, we were able to work with the mother and the children, um, and then the other three came into the orphanage as well while they worked with the mum about earning income so that she could then support her children rather than sell them. Incredible. Yeah. And how do you discover these cases? A lot of it must be very well hidden. Yes. 
um, very well hidden, but then sometimes hidden in plain view. Because in the city that I go to, and it is only one very small part of the Philippines that I go to, and in that city they have a, a large, very large park in the centre called the plaza. And quite often the parents who don't want the children or can't feed the children will just leave them there. And they're, they're literally dumped in this park. Or the children go there and then they're known that somewhere if they go to this particular park, someone there will feed them. And that's where the traffickers will find them. Like we've got one community that were or a couple that we've done in this way, but they were scavenging on the on dump sites for their survival. 75 families literally living on the side of a dump with no shelter, but living there just to survive. We were able to teach them a skill and build a small building. We actually had them build their building themselves. We provided the resources and said, you need to do the work to do this. They now have a small, what they call a livelihood centre. Now that was their words, not mine. And um, they have a small livelihood centre with several sewing machines. Ladies come in that has a small childcare centre as well. They can bring their small children, they can learn to sew and then they can sell the items. When we started that, we now have, after seven years, we have 75 families who've built their own homes from that income and no longer survive on the dump site. So it's had you know, quite, a, quite a big impact. Incredible. It's very clear ripple effect. That's wonderful. Yes. Yes, I like the, the idea of the, the ripple effect where more people will be helped because when they got to that level, they're willing to help someone else. Thank you so much, Astrid Hawking. Hearts and hands, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Steve. When we return, discover a miniature world made of everyday objects. A Japanese artist's creations are captivating an audience in Brazil. We'll take a look. Welcome back. Imagine a whole society scaled down. A Japanese photographer is telling people to see life in a different way through a miniature exhibition. Broccoli florets become a forest, and a bowl of soup recreates a Japanese garden. These miniature works of art are dazzling visitors in Brazil's Sao Paulo. It's an unexpected exhibition. You see leeks and onions representing real-life objects through the miniatures. Japanese photographer Tatsuya Tanaka is behind the creative exhibition. From bristles of brushes to computer motherboards to traditional Japanese food like dorayaki pancakes and sushi, he uses the most common materials to portray scenes from everyday life and from his imagination. It's totally delicate, the exhibition. It brings one to a sense that life doesn't always need to be represented in a magnanimous way. The exhibition will be on display at the Japan House in Sao Paulo through October. The artist also posts a photo every day online at his site called Miniature Calendar. And an exciting discovery in the UK, archaeologists have unearthed the largest ancient hand axes ever found in the country. Could they have been the tools of giants? Let's take a closer look. At this excavation site in southeast England, a giant ice age hand axe has just been found. 
along with 800 other items. The axe is 300,000 years old, a foot long and almost too big to handle. The size of these hand axes, especially the biggest one, is I've never seen a hand axe that big. And archaeologists at University College London says the axes were probably used to butcher animals or cut up meat. Neanderthals of the time also needed weapons to protect themselves. And there would have been a daily thing of trying to get food, gather food, hunt animals. There was also some pretty dangerous animals living around. You've got tigers, would have been wolves. But some mysteries remain, like the purpose of this 12-inch long stone axe. Scientists are still sifting through the excavated material in hopes of discovering more treasures. Coming up, a furry friend is just the solution for a retired military officer. Find out how his pet cat helps him face the world and his PTSD. Details to come on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A cuddly pet could be the answer to some mental health problems. The story of a retired Australian officer brings attention to the benefits of aid animals. Let's take a look. Anthor is a retired Border Force officer from Australia. After years on the force, he developed post-traumatic disorder. I was one of those guys that said, never going to happen to me. I'm resilient, I'm strong, I'm, you know, good ocker. Sometimes facing up to the fact that you're vulnerable is hard but you got to do it. But Ather soon found support in the form of a cool furry friend. She encourages her owner to go out of the house and interact with people. It's about making a connection with an animal that helps people to, to regulate how they're feeling. And so it helps to reduce loneliness and improve um, sort of negative feelings like depression and anxiety. Bandit is one of the only Australian registered assistance cats, tested and proven safe to be out in public. She was also trained in deep pressure therapy, which helps soothe the nervous system. She can tell when something's happening, when it's not quite right. And she'll either um, stretch up to me and place her, her paws on my leg, like you see cats do all the time, and demand attention, and then she'll put pressure. Registering a cat is not as easy as registering a dog, but Bandit has obtained a New South Wales license and is about to earn a license in the Australian Capital Territory. This might put a smile on your face. Here are this year's finalists for the comedy pet photos. We've got a cat performing his best victory pose, a dog leaping through the air, another dog jumping head first into the sand, and a cat sticking out its tongue. The 24 finalists will be judged by a panel of expert animal lovers, and the winner will be announced on August 11th. You'll also have the chance to vote for the People's Choice Award, you can cast your vote at ComedyPetPhoto.com. A baby polar bear wins the hearts of visitors at a zoo in northern Germany. This week, it was allowed out to play for the first time. The furry zoo favorite was born in Hamburg last December. She's the city's first polar bear offspring in more than two decades. It's an adventurous world out there, and the little bear doesn't seem to be afraid. It jumped into the freezing cold water on its first day in the sun. The cub doesn't have a name yet, but is in perfect health, weighing close to 90 pounds. Spending time alone can induce fear in a lot of people, which is understandable. 
but at the same time, it has its benefits. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. In psychology, researchers define loneliness as a distressed feeling. We experience it when we don't have the kind of social connections or relationships we hope for, but solitude is different. Many of us have had days when there are troubles at work or home, things don't go as expected or perhaps we take on too much and feel overwhelmed. At that point, try to take a little time for yourself, in other words, a moment of solitude. Solitude has the capacity to bring down people's stress and arousal levels. This means it can be useful in situations where we may feel frustrated, agitated or angry. Many people might assume that only introverts would enjoy solitude. Yes, introverts might prefer to be alone, but they are not the only people. A survey was conducted with more than 18,000 adults from around the world. More than half voted for solitude as one of the key activities they engage in for rest. So if you are an extrovert, don't let this stop you from taking time for solitude to calm down. The challenging part about spending time alone is that it can be boring and lonely sometimes. Many people find that sitting with their thoughts can be difficult and they prefer having something to do. Indeed, forcing yourself to sit and do nothing can lead to you finding time alone less enjoyable. So you might prefer having some sort of activity during your moment of solitude. Ideally, avoid scrolling on your device. Take the time to reconnect with the natural world around you or perhaps do a healthy hobby. Daily chores are an option such as going grocery shopping or doing the laundry. This is valid solitary time. There's another aspect to this. Many people shy away from engaging in fun activities alone like going to the cinema or dining at a restaurant. This might be because we tend to think of them as activities we do with friends and close ones. Doing them alone can make us feel judged and self-conscious. Challenge yourself to take on some of these fun activities alone. The experience might be liberating. If that's a little too much, at least take some time out of your busy schedule for a small dose of solitude. It might just be what you need. Baby Madison Mendoza of Colorado is the new 2023 Gerber baby and winner of the 13th annual photo search contest. She's almost 10 months old. The company said Mendoza has a joyful spirit and a captivating expression. Maddie's father is a lieutenant colonel physician in the Air Force, and her mom is a dentist. Maddie will be featured on Gerber's social media channels and marketing campaigns throughout the year. Her family gets a $25,000 prize, free Gerber products for up to one year, and new clothes provided by Gerber Children's Wear. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers. Mm -hmm.